6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. You know, we went through that uh, long stretch of hot, hot weather. And all you have to do is look at your yards, probably your garden, to realize uh, the impact that weather had on, uh, on, on, on the area. Now, we've had some rain over the past couple of days. Last night, certainly today, that thunderstorm last night, as I was mentioning. Was it something else at your place? Because we were right on the southwest edge of the city, and it uh, rolled through pretty good between 10 and 11 last night. But when we're having that rain last night and uh, the, the rain today, it might be somewhat easy to forget about what's happening in Ontario with the forest fires and, and even in B.C., Um, And we'll have the very latest on that coming up. But we do know that the forest fire is causing major concerns, right? Uh, In Ontario, the premier there getting pressure to declare a state of emergency. And in B.C., that state of emergency was put in place on Tuesday. More people are being forced to leave their homes. There are 277 forest fires burning across B.C. right now with no relief in sight. I'll give you the latest on that coming up. But our next guest to start with is an assistant professor in wildlife fire at the University of Alberta. And she says, while we can't predict the next wildfire disaster, we can plan for it. Jen Beverly, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's nice to have you here. So when you take a look at, at the fires, or when we actually take a look, so I'm speaking from, you know, just, you know, uh, someone with no expertise in, 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 in fires. When we look at it, we see the terrifying videos and photos for a lot of folks. It's, it's putting a, a big cramp uh, into their their travel plans you know and and tourism and that sort of thing we shake our heads and we kind of go on with it what do you see when you're when you're looking at those videos and those pictures coming out of bc and northwestern ontario right now well you know the images are shocking and and like everyone my concern is for the people who are there experiencing those those events firsthand um now as a researcher it's challenging me to ask well what can we do to help reduce uh, the negative impacts of these destructive fires you have studied how wildfires in canada have changed over the years and um one of the big forest fires that i remember was back in the same area in the okanagan back in 2003 and i can remember covering that on television i can remember originally seeing the video thinking oh my gosh you know what is going on i remember the stories of the firefighters all of that like it was yesterday Uh, but there's um you know there's been some big changes since 2003 when you look at what has happened with wildfires since then the number of uh, people evacuated the amount of damage can you tell us about those changes that you've witnessed and that you followed and, and researched yeah, there has been a lot of changes. So that Okanagan Mountain Park fire, 2003, Kelowna, a couple hundred, several hundred homes destroyed. And, and people started asking, you know, how often does this happen? Nobody was tracking it. There were no national statistics on wildfire evacuations. And that actually led us, and at the time I worked for the federal government, and I led a project to compile the historical evacuation records. Hmm. And we were able to do that going back to about 1980. So the study was published 10 years ago. That study actually concluded that up until that point, for the 30 years that we could get the data, fires were not really impacting that many Canadians. On average, up until that point, pretty small numbers of people were being evacuated each year. So you're, you know, you're talking about around 7,500 people a year. 18 homes, 18 homes on average, were being burned wow. each year by wildfire nationally. 
Now, the last 10 years look completely different. Uh-huh. In the last 10 years, what we've seen is just a, a succession of fire disasters and extreme fire seasons, and they just keep coming. So we had Slave Lake in 2011, Fort McMurray in 2016. Both BC and Alberta have had these multiple escalated fire seasons in the last few years. And now we have, we actually have, you know, multiple provinces simultaneously, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, you know, we've got Ontario, Manitoba, BC, all, evacuations are, are happening this summer across the country. So it's, it's actually completely different. Uh, it's, we've really shifted to this whole new state. So instead of it kind of being a, a one-off if it's going to happen, it's almost like just when is it going to happen? And that leads to my to my next question, Jen. Is it possible to predict fires, wildfires, based on uh, weather, past conditions, and previous fires? Is it possible to predict where the next ones might happen? Well, we're, we're pretty good at predicting things, you know, over than over really short timelines. So we have Canadian fire weather indices and those are used to map make maps that show what areas are receptive to ignitions today and tomorrow. And those maps are pretty reliable for as long as we can predict the weather, which is over the next few days. But if we want to be proactive, we need to we need to try to understand what could happen over much longer time periods. So what could we expect next year in the next mm. few years? And we're not good at predicting that because we can't predict where the ignitions are going to be. And we can't predict exactly when we're going to have that ignition, those extreme winds, and the drought conditions, exactly when and where that's going to happen. It's 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 really too variable when you try to account for all of those things. Yeah. And that's exactly, you know, that's one of the reasons why I shifted my research focus away from trying to predict strategically longer term and say, okay, what do we know? And what can we do with what we know to try to prepare for it? And that's more about what if scenarios, like if, if a fire should come in from this direction, what's it going to mean? Yeah, and, and you know, I thought uh, I was reading a, an article that you'd written recently talking about um, some of the work that you're doing with some of the some of your other colleagues talking about um, about the pathways that fire. Uh, can take potential fire or pathways into communities, and and looking about and looking then at how communities can 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 take that knowledge and use it. So where are you on that front, and, and what does that look like? Yeah, exactly. So what, what we're trying to understand is is the fuels. Now, fuels that's your hazard for for wildfire, and we and we know what fuels and that's vegetation biomass, live and dead. Uh, burn and how they burn and we know where they are so you can map the fuels and we can have that knowledge with 100% certainty so we look at those fuels and then we can start asking okay where are the locations that fire can transmit itself to because you know fire is going to launch embers and radiant heat and that's how it actually moves into the built environment the community so we understand the proximity of the fuels how close they are and when we can start to look at how connected those fuels are and identify all right here are the Here's the potential corridors or routes, pathways that a fire might take into a given community. Now, once you have that information, and and that's something that that me and my students are working on, we're also collaborating with transportation engineers. So Mm. Dr. Amy Kim at the University of British Columbia and her students, and we're starting to ask questions like, okay, let's look at the fire path, and that's the flow of fire into uh, potentially into a community. Now, how is that intersecting with the transportation network? Because that'll be the flow of people out during during an evacuation. And you can start to look for vulnerabilities, like if you have your main fire pathway potentially cutting off your main escape route, 
is a, a vulnerability and you can identify that now. You don't have to wait for a fire to figure out what, where these vulnerabilities are. And, and, and uh, that takes me right back to Fort McMurray. I was on the air that afternoon when, when Fort McMurray went up in flames and I was getting phone calls from, from people, you know, trying to get out of town. And just remember, there's only like one way in and one way out. And it was, it was, it was terrifying. So when you talk about planning then, planning isn't just making sure that, oh, you know, you've got your important documents uh, on a personal level, but you're talking about planning for, 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 for an entire community. So this information that you're working on can be used by communities across the province, across the country, in case something happens. I mean, I think that could go a long, long way to um, alleviating some, some, a small part of, of uh, you know, the, the, the critical parts of getting people out and getting people out safely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, in, in these situations where you have really extreme winds, like what, what played out in Lytton, uh-huh. uh, I mean, 60, 70 kilometer an hour winds, there's, there's virtually no time uh, to make decisions. Yeah. So it's important to think through this stuff and identify vulnerabilities well in advance and put contingencies in place. And it could be also looking at things like communications. You know, if, if your main fire pathways are also going to take out your cell phone mm. uh, communication towers, that's another vulnerability that you can identify and potentially then you, you introduce some redundancy so you're protected. And so that's the kind of the stuff we're trying to promote with our work for sure. Yeah. Yeah, wow. It's, uh, you know, a lot to think about uh, right there. And it sounds like this is something that we should have been thinking about a while back. But at least I'm really happy that it's being uh, worked on right now. Jen, I'm going to have to leave it here uh, for the time being. Really appreciate you taking the time this afternoon and uh, and shedding some, some light on the work that you're doing. Thanks so much. Have a great afternoon. Yeah, ten, take care. Jen Beverly this afternoon. She's an assistant professor of wildland fire at the University of Alberta. You heard her talk about the um, the variables, some of those variables, the, the, uh, the, the, the fuel and the winds. Well, the winds causing huge problems today, tomorrow in BC. I'll have the latest coming up.